Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast, where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today we're talking about healthy relationships and what to do about those toxic people. Okay, so I don't think we can talk about having a relationship with Christ and Christianity without talking about our connection and relationship with other people. Yeah, our vertical relationship with the Lord is uh, paramount, obviously, but he who says he loves the Lord and hates his neighbor, well, is a liar and the truth is not in him. Right, and then we have the number one rule in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself? No, that's number two. The golden rule is what, what <laughs> The golden did. rule, no. No, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right, and so loving your neighbor as yourself, obviously we take care of ourselves, right? If we, if we are in extreme pain, if we put our hand on a curling iron and it hurts, we're going to jerk it back because we are protecting ourselves from pain. We innately care about ourselves. Even if people think that we don't, it's a false understanding because everything we do pretty much surrounds our protection mechanisms. Yeah. It's our entire makeup and how we interact with other people is generally due to self-preservation in some form or another. I mean, just, just to clarify when we're saying like love your neighbor as yourself, I mean, to love someone as yourself implies that you love yourself. Right. Right. Um, so Jesus and, is not going to tell us a false yeah. rule. He also said that no man ever hated himself. And a lot of people will say, well, there's a lot of people that say they hate themselves. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure they hate the situation that they're in. Maybe they hate the decisions that they've made. And the reason why they hate those things and those circumstances is because they actually love themselves. They want better for themselves. And they want better. I am not a naturally intuitive person. Like, very not. I no. have to. Casey's very intuitive. I'm See, not intuitive at all. We're watching a movie and I have don't no go idea. To movies with her. I have no idea what's going on don't unless they're like, I'm falling in love with you. And I'm like, oh, they're falling in love. You know, something might be happening. I'll be like, Casey, I'm lost. What's going on? He's like, they're falling in love. And I was like, when did they say that? And he's like, they didn't have to say it. I need those, I need those like hard facts. And so I didn't understand people because I just knew how I was and I didn't understand even myself. And so I, I really couldn't understand people that were different than me. And one of the books that really helped me how to love, love. how we love. And they explained that most people are one of five attachments and there's a passive person And passive people are, they don't like conflict. They rather have no conflict than have resolution. They value no conflict over resolution. And so it's like, oh, you seem mad. I think I'll just stay away. I think I will not engage. Oh, there's a hole in the wall. I'll just put a picture over the top of it. You know, kind of like an ostrich. If I just don't look at it. fixes the hole though. (laughs) If we don't look at it and talk about it and address it, then it doesn't exist. Mm -mm. So that's a passive person. There are usually controllers and victims and controllers have to maintain control. They're usually very strong. They will be very aggressive if they need to be. They have a high resolution for solving things a high desire for resolution right and so they will engage the at all hd is what you're saying and then there's victims and victims are usually raised 
by a controller victim dynamic. And so they learn, um, oh, I, I don't make good choices because over and over again, I've been told that my choices were wrong. And so they start believing I don't make good choices. So it's just safer for me not to make choices and to have someone in my life help guide me and tell me what to do. These people usually shut down. They usually internally blame and they will not voice their opinions. They they think it's bravery even to have their own opinion in their mind. And so usually they look for a controller to control them and controllers look for a victim to control and that little cycle there, it feels most comfortable. I think you see a lot of that consistently in, like if you were objectively looking at relationships around you, you can see that oftentimes if you have a very dominant individual in the relationship, you're going to have a very passive individual also as their partner. And I I mean, I've seen that in my family. I've seen that in a lot of friend relationships where I'm like, oh, wow, this person is almost like the person at the back of the house. Like this is the servant and the other person makes all the decisions. And you're like, wow, that's not good. But for the victim person, they really feel comfortable not making decisions. The passive person might still have strong opinions. They might still really want their way and they're more passive aggressive. And so it's like, I'm not going to engage you, but then I'm going to do what I want. The victim person really just is there to please the other person. They don't have a voice. They don't have a lot of opinions. It's safer to have the other person have their opinions. It's a very quiet, meek, they believe they can't make decisions. And so it feels so comfortable to have someone make their decisions. And so there's passive, there's controlling, there's victim. And so the next one would be the pleaser. The pleaser believes that it's their responsibility, that they have the ability, I should say, to regulate your emotions through their actions. And so if you're upset, it's almost like, what can I do to please you? When you think of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, it's the fawn response, which is the friendly response, the people-pleasing response. They're really, usually they had a, a parent that when they were upset, they could please their parent through their actions. And so they developed this coping mechanism of being able to please people so that the other people are happy with themselves. And that makes them feel more calm and at rest. They feel very anxious when someone's not happy with them. And then the last attachment style would be a vacillator, which is someone that bounces between all four of these things. In certain times or in certain relationships, they might be more controlling And then that might um, upset someone else. So then they might jump to being a pleaser to try and make up for that. And then there might be other times when they're an avoider or a victim and blame other people. These different attachment styles are all based on different beliefs. And in some of our other podcasts, we talked about in inner healing, how beliefs really drive us. And then a lot of the things that we do are, are from these coping mechanisms based on how what we are, like I'm a vacillator and Casey's an avoider, is how your different fight cycles look. And so the book, How We Love, strongly recommend best book we've ever read as far as marriage. We've read a lot. So that's a great place to start with learning about other people and about yourself and especially about your spouse and your fight cycles. But there's a few things that that we have just taken our upper leadership through that once you learn seems so basic. And so like, oh, this makes complete sense. But unless you had a really healthy family dynamic that understood these things, you've never learned them. And what's what is the reality is that most people, if we're to be honest, in our culture haven't had a healthy 
parental upbringing necessarily, and especially with the divorce rate of our culture. But especially in that kind of situation, what you find in most relationships is this strong need for triangulation. And there's this mindset of, oh, this person's being adversarial to me. And so we almost view someone having an opinion or being somewhat aggressive or even just plain assertive, which is healthy, to you means that now they're the bad guy, I'm the victim, and now what I need is someone to come to my rescue. And what you find is that people go, whether it be to a a mother, a father, a a friend, um, someone close in that relationship, to come to the rescue. So like Casey said, triangulation is whenever person A has something against person B. And instead of going to person B and having a healthy a healthy conversation with them, coming up with resolution, instead they go to person C and they present themselves as the victim and person B as the perpetrator. And so then that makes person C in the position of rescuer. And so they want person C to come to their rescue, whether it's approaching person B or just siding with them and getting together and knocking person B. What is going to be a healthy outcome for any kind of conflict in a relationship is actually being assertive and addressing the issue, the offense, the frustration, whatever it may be, with the actual individual that you have it towards. Instead of going to someone else seeking to rescue, because what is that? That is slander and gossip. When we start to bring other people into a situation that we have refused to be assertive and try and mitigate or try to resolve, then at that point we're in sin. That's not to say that there shouldn't be healthy responses of bringing other people in to mediate depending on the situation. After you've already tried one-on-one. Yes, but that comes after you've been bold and assertive in trying to resolve the situation yourself. Right. And so some people might have grown up in dynamics where there might be a really passive parent, but they might do a lot of complaining about other people or their spouse behind the other person's back. And they um, sometimes are self-deceived to think, well, I'm just a peacemaker. But when you're actually going to other people complaining about another person, that's causing division. It's causing strife, yeah. And so they think just because they're not assertive and that they won't go and talk to that person, um, sometimes there's this deception of, well, I just like to keep the peace. And it's really a, a false understanding. Well, it's a, it's a false uh, sense of, of I'm doing the loving thing and not losing my cool with this person or not going to this person um, with this situation. I'm just going to let it slide. I'm just going to forgive and forget. But in reality, you don't forgive and you don't forget. <laughs> it's it's a false sense of not humility. If, not if you're going to other people. And Especially you're if you're going to other people. Painting right? yourself as the victim and them as the bad guy. Yeah, that happens and far too often. Because then what happens is person C approaches for person B and person B is like, hey, you're not even involved in this. Yeah. And so person B now feels like they're the victim and person C is the bad guy. So now we have another triangulation dynamic. Yeah, where this person B now goes to find their own rescuer. And when you start to see that is politics in general, you start pitting groups of people against one another when it all goes back to an unwillingness to seek resolution 
because it's uncomfortable. Right. To be brave and assertive and to um, approach the person that has offended you and have a, a gentle conversation with them. And what we see is that Christ was never afraid to address issues. He was never afraid to bring resolution. He would do the hard thing. He would say the hard thing. And he would always do it in love. And he also wasn't actually worried about people's response. And I think that's what really keeps people from having that initial conversation with the other person is that they don't like negative responses. They don't like people to be unhappy with them. They don't want to be the bad guy. It's a self-protection mechanism. When you recognize that you are in a family or a friend group or a church or a Um, work situation where there's a lot of triangulation. There's a lot of blaming, a lot of behind people's backs. The most healthy thing that we can do is not allow triangulation. Mm -hmm. I was in a situation where someone was upset with Casey and I stayed out of it. It was between them and Casey. And I happened to go take my children to visit them and they started in on me about Casey, which is triangulation. And I, you know, I had to just do a boundary and be like, okay, kids, it's time to go. And they were very upset. They then played the victim against me and triangulated people against me. But we have no ability to to regulate what other people do with our boundaries or with our healthy, like we're not going to participate in triangulation. We just have to do what is right. It's kind of fun as a dynamic, as an in-law. I look at my wife with her grandmother and her mother and her sisters. And if they have a squabbles or differences... I'm like, no, I'm not getting in that. I'm not coming to the rescue. Like, they can handle it. They can deal with it. It's their issue. It has nothing to do with me. And and this is the, the sad thing. Sometimes we want to be the rescuer, right? As a husband, like, especially, like, I'm the protector. I need to get involved. When in reality, I mean, if it's not threatening bodily harm and their family and they've known each other longer than we've been together, I mean, they can handle their differences and... I think it's the loving thing to encourage the spouses to go, hey, maybe you should go talk to them. Maybe you should seek resolution. It's not my role to be involved in that situation. So another dynamic, which is a little it's similar, but people usually fall into one of four categories and usually three out of the four. And it's passive people, aggressive people, passive aggressive people, and hopefully we'll all become healthy, assertive people. Can you tell us about the difference, Casey? Yeah, when we're looking at aggressive, right, that's pretty straightforward. This person is not afraid to tell you how they think, and they are just going to seek to get their own way. That would be like our controllers or our vacillators. Right. It's like, hey, you need to listen. This is the problem. We're going to address it right now. We're going to do this now. Mm -hmm. It can be 11 o'clock at night. You're ready for bed. They're like, no, we're going to discuss this right now. Right. And everyone's going, you never go to bed angry. That's what the scripture says. Well, I don't want to wake up angry, so I'm going to go to bed and we'll address it in the morning. No, he, he jumped into the passive um, yes. dialogue. Exactly. He wasn't representing the aggressive one. So talk about passive. And so passive is going to go, OK, this is very uncomfortable. I don't like the aggression. Let's not deal with it. Let's go do something else. Let's avoid the situation. Let's go distract ourselves from the situation. So this would definitely be our victims. It part of the time is also our pleasers and avoiders, but then pleasers and avoiders avoiders can also fall into the passive aggressive. Yes. And that's where you, you make your passive aggressive statements to where I'm not going to be overtly 
mean to you or confrontational or confrontational but i will leave sticky notes all over the fridge or i'll make loud comments not to you but so that you can hear yeah so i'm going to be aggressively doing the dishes and just talking out loud just so you know or i'm going to be talking in earshot of you about something that i disagree with that you're doing but i won't have that conversation with you about it right most people whether they're aggressive or passive they will inevitably be passive aggressive in some way or some fashion and we all need to work towards being assertive and assertive is just calmly actually seeking resolution so it's not avoiding it's not pretending like these things don't exist it's not being cowardice and making backhanded comments it's not being aggressive and demanding your own way it is with love and with a good tone being able to talk about something with healthy communication styles and so some of the healthy communication things that people also don't learn is that nobody has the ability to go inside of you and to choose your emotions your emotions are really stemming from your beliefs it is not true to say you made me and then insert emotion Yeah, you made me feel this way or you, because of your actions, I reacted this way. And so if you would, if you would act differently, then I won't respond this way. You made me mad. You made me feel sad. You hurt me. It's really putting the other person as the responsible party for your choices and your beliefs and your emotions. And what this inevitably says and... The impetus of this is I'm powerless to control myself. You control me. And so for me to be okay, I need you to act better, which is really a powerless situation. When you think about that, that's not who Jesus was. That's not what the work that he did on the cross came. It came to set us free. Mm -hmm. And if we are bound by other people's actions for our emotional stability, that's really a place of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And this is the state of our culture today. We all need our safe spaces so that the way you talk and the way you act doesn't affect me. And so I never actually have to deal with my instability and my own emotions. I have to have you abdicate your will to mine in every situation, in every circumstance. We see lots of blame. The reason why I'm I'm sad, I'm suicidal, I'm this is because you don't accept me, you don't believe in me. You know, the reason why, like as a spouse that I'm upset or feeling lonely is because you're not doing enough. You, 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 you. And this isn't healthy. It's not, it's, no, first of all, it's is. not true because the reason why you feel the way that you feel is really wired into you because of your life experiences and what you believe. And those things can be changed because when you have a deep revelation, see our inner healing podcasts, when you have a deeper revelation of the truth, it sets you free and that your emotions literally don't respond the same. Yeah. I can, I can tell you of so many different situations to where when you're walking in love, The things that would normally trigger you, the things that would normally set you off and have you respond in a specific way that is rather unhealthy, don't actually even affect you. You're just perfectly calm on the inside. Now, you might be irritated because you're like, oh, this is unreasonable how you're acting. You might be confused and I don't know how to respond to you right now. I don't understand why we're having this situation, but you're not having internal turmoil to where your emotions are imbalanced and your emotions are not dictating to you how you ought to respond rather your emotions are good and in subject to your will 
right? And so we see that Jesus was able to endure a lot of rejection, a lot of criticism, a lot of crazy claims that he was demon-possessed, that he was a heretic. Oh, he was a drunk. Oh, that he was a drunk. Same thing about the apostles. And he was able to do that without being defensive because he was so healthy. You know what's exciting? I can really relate with Jesus right now because I've been accused of a lot of those things. Right. Yeah, (laughs) me too. This is the analogy I always give is if you were in a car wreck and you've been through a lot of trauma and a lot of pain, your body is so sensitive like imagine just being covered with blue with bruises with broken bones with flesh that is ripped if people just gently rub against you it causes excruciating pain and you react to that pain because it's so hurtful and so you want that person to not touch you you think that because they touched you is the reason why you feel pain automatically so you want them to change and to not touch you that's that helpless everything is in everyone else's hands and the truth is that you can actually become whole you can become healed you can become such a healthy person that that you don't have any bruises or breaks or you know skins so when someone bumps into you they can bump into you pretty hard they can hit your shin pretty hard they can bump into your arm pretty hard and it doesn't actually hurt because you're very healthy and you're very strong and so emotionally when we get healed and we become very healthy and we're not sensitive to rejection we're not sensitive to these different things people don't offend us as easily. It doesn't hurt. We're literally, we can be bumped into pretty hard and look at them with grace and understanding and forgiveness and it truly not hurt us. So the best way for us to become healthy communicators is to get healed ourselves. And then the internal parts of us can actually respond with love and grace and the fruit of the spirit, just like Casey was talking about, instead of on the outside, us just trying to have these things and not actually having them from the heart. And so I I do just want to make a few statements here in regards to walking by the Spirit, because we are told by Paul that walking by the Spirit, if we do that, then we won't gratify the lust of the flesh. And so passivity is gratifying the lust of the flesh. So is aggression. Aggression, the lust of the flesh. If we are unwilling to endure the difficult situations in life because it makes us uncomfortable and we don't like how it makes our flesh feel, then that means that we are not filled with the Spirit. We're not walking in love because love hopes the best. If Uh, we're living our life to people please and to make people happy, that's not how Jesus lived. And we're not living in a place of subjection to the Spirit. We're living in a place of subjection to how every other person treats us. So healthy understanding is that I have to own my things. I have to own my pains, my emotions, and I, and the good news is I can do something with, about those with the Lord, with intimacy. See our podcast on intimacy with Christ. Also, you can't read my mind. You can't tell me what my motives were. You can't tell me. And, and everyone, this is coming from a wife. Okay. Um, and so you can't go inside my brain and say why I did or said something and then attribute, villainize me because of what your pain is or what your beliefs are. And so healthy communication is I can't talk about what's going on inside of you or why you do things. I can only talk about how it affects me if I come home and the dishes aren't done instead of being like, you don't care about me. I'm so upset. That would be blaming him. Well, well, you make me upset would be the statement. 
And so a more healthy style would be like, hey, I feel overwhelmed and I'm really sad because those dishes aren't done. See how it didn't make it about blaming. It didn't make it about the other person. It made it about me and being vulnerable about my emotions and how I feel. And then I'm in a vulnerable space because I have to give you the opportunity to respond to that. And you can either reject it or validate it. So in that situation, how do you deal with people who reject you and don't validate you because maybe you have to live with them to answer that question we really have to talk about um the bullseye of boundaries you know when you think of like a target in the middle of that target there's a dot and in that space there should be that should be your god space he should have the most access to you your emotions your time your resources in your life the next circle would be your spouse or your most intimate friendship the next circle would be your first person family, the people that you're responsible for in your life, close, close friends, you know, if you're not married and don't have kids. And then the circle keeps going out and few, a few more people are added to each, each ring. And so if people are near the inside of your circle, then you really have an obligation to, to be a part of their lives, to shepherd them, to be shepherded by them. And we have to work through some of these issues and really, learn how to continue to love them well without allowing triangulation, without allowing blame. And that's where we learn powerful statements like, when you're ready to have a healthy conversation, I would love to finish this conversation. When you start getting closer and closer into that central circle and start moving in those concentric circles out from that intimacy with the Lord, it is a role that we have to take on and prioritize of stewarding those relationships well. And what oftentimes happens is we inadvertently, unknowingly assume that there are unhealthy people in these outer circles that we can allow into those inner circles. Can't allow. No, we we inadvertently assume that they can be there. Okay, yeah. Well, and so if you think of those circles as being circles of energy and time, I should put my most energy and time into the most innermost circles. And so if there are hard relationships in those innermost circles of people that should be there, like my spouse, like my children, then they deserve the amount of time and effort that it takes to work through issues in those relationships. Now, if someone is on the next to the most furthest outside ring in my life, that means that they get very little energy and time. If I were to take as much time with them as it takes with the people on the inside of my circle, then effectively what I'm doing is I'm taking them from an outermost circle and placing them into an inner circle and bumping people that do deserve and are supposed to be in my Mm. inner circle out a circle. Well, that's that's because there's a, a bad priority of time. And what I have seen in probably one of the greatest aspects of of wisdom that I've heard from countless ministers, countless pastors, countless priests, whatever it may be, within uh, the service of the church. It is, I wish I spent more time with my spouse and with my children. And the second most one that we hear from people is, I wish I would have dealt with problem people sooner. Exactly. I wish I would have dealt with those adversarial, um, confrontational people and placed them where they should be, out there on the fringes of intimacy, um, because they're consuming so much of time and energy, and it's actually not an unhealthy thing to set that boundary because what you're doing is you're allocating energy you should be spending towards the benefit of the gospel and you're placing it on someone who is like 
the scripture says you're casting your pearls before swine. Effectively, the enemy is using them to suck so much time and energy from you that a dozen people could be discipled in their place, a dozen healthy people. A dozen healthy people, yeah. Yeah. And so if you have someone that's very toxic, that continues to triangulate, that continues to be passive-aggressive, that continues to blame and to read your mind and to hold you hostage, we're talking people with usually different diagnoses, psychologically even, really the best thing that we can do is boundaries. And what we need to discern and recognize is sometimes it is the hard decision of even family members to where you're going, wow, this isn't healthy. This isn't going anywhere. It is a constant fight. It is a constant battle that is just sucking so much energy and and actually like love that you might actually have and want to give that you're going, Man, this just isn't going to work. We need to set a boundary of health to where you can actually still try to maintain relationship, just not to the depth of intimacy that they might want. So even Jesus did this. Jesus had his circle of friends. Yeah. I mean, he had the 12 disciples, right? Out of all the multitudes of people following him. But even within the 12, he had his three, Peter, James, and John. So he gave more time and energy to and to those three to and those then three, yeah. to discipling the disciples. Exactly. And then after the 12, he had 70 that he sent out. And then there was 120. And there was 120 in the upper room. And then there were the multitudes that were constantly vying for his time and attention. But what were they vying it for? What did Jesus say? You just want me for the bread and the fish that I gave you. You don't actually want me. And then he had his haters. Yeah. And he even spent time with the Pharisees. He would go and he would go to their house. He would attend a dinner. He would go to a tax collector's home. He would go to a lot of different people's events, but he was not intimate or close with them. He wouldn't place a lot of time and energy with them. They didn't have unlimited access to him the way that the inner circle did. Exactly. If Peter, James, and John were asking him in Matthew 13 about, why do you speak to them in parables? In Jesus' response, well, it is given to you to know the truth. It is given to you to have the keys to the kingdom. And they're going, oh, okay, well, yeah, Yeah, there's a separation there, a boundary set up of intimacy. Probably if Jesus had a cell phone, those Pharisees wouldn't have had his cell phone number. And if they did, he (laughs) probably wouldn't have had an open dialogue of time and energy with them ongoing. And this is just a side comment that I really have to make. The whole purpose of a cell phone is for your personal convenience, not everyone else's. And so I just got to say that. That's a healthy boundary everyone should take into consideration because I know a lot of fathers and a lot of mothers who spend a lot of time on the phone when they should be focusing their attention on their family. There's some pretty famous pastors that have public cell phone numbers that are that anyone can access. And they say the reason that they're able to do that is because they don't feel obligated to call people or text people back that contact them. Exactly. Just because someone contacts you does not mean that you're obligated to give them time and energy. And I think that's hard in a world where people kind of are very demanding, you know, especially for people in ministry or people that serve. It's almost like if you have a position and I participate at all, then you owe me something. And then that really burns out ministers. That's really abusive to their time and to their energy and to their families to assume that they need to meet all of your needs. And so we see a lot of ministers get negative, get unforgiving, and start really hating their congregations and their people because they don't know how to have good boundaries and to be okay with people being upset with them. Right. And it's it's not necessarily the congregation's fault, right? It's the pastors not being able to set 
healthy boundaries, right? You teach people how to treat you in a lot of degrees. Now, that's not always the case, but in a lot of instances, we allow things to continue on in our life when we should have probably set a healthy boundary. And that's a really good point. It's not anyone else's responsibility to set your boundaries. You are the one that has to say, no, I don't want to do that, or I can't, I'm not going to willingly do that, you know, in a nice way. And you can't volunteer to do something and then be upset that somebody asked you like they have the ability to read your mind. And so that's another blame dynamic of Mm -hmm. triangulation instead of being assertive and healthy and just only offer to do the things that you are willing to do with a gracious heart. Yeah, with a gracious heart, not begrudgingly, right? Because God looks at the heart. And so even if you have these actions that are good, if your heart is begrudging, it means nothing. And I'll, I'll just take this to the spiritual application Um, When it comes to like tithing, for instance, the Lord in the New Testament does not teach a principle of tithing. That's an assumed principle that everyone should do. He teaches cheerful giving. And so it's the same thing of your time and your energy. If you're unwilling to cheerfully with a loving heart serve another person, the Lord is going to be judging at the Bema Seat Judgment whether you did so with love or if you did so begrudgingly. So we always have to steward our hearts. We have to make sure that we're not just being religious. We're not doing things on the outside to try and please God or please man, but that we really are living from a place of true love, like 1 Corinthians 13 describes, that we're hoping the best, that we're doing these different things from a heart of the fruit of the Spirit, joy and kindness and peace. The whole point is not religion, not performance, but a true deep connection with the Lord where we feel loved, where we become healthy, whole individuals, and can actually act like Christ and be love, be gracious, be forgiving, but then have some firm boundaries. Jesus called out the Pharisees a few times. You know, he said, drink my blood and eat my flesh. He wasn't trying to people please. What we find in our necessity of maintaining healthy relationships, setting healthy boundaries, coming to a place of of love and maturity is going to be that knowing who you are in Christ is going to really establish a firm identity. And in having that identity, you're going to be able to more able walk in love. And to be filled with the spirit because you're not really worrying about what other people think about you. And one of the key things to do with connection and relationships is forgiveness. Casey, what's the Bible say about forgiveness? Do it. (laughs) Or what? Or you won't be forgiven. That's a pretty scary scripture. It is terrifying. If you're unwilling to forgive man here on earth, then the Lord will not forgive you before his angels in heaven. There's that scripture. There's also the parable about the man that was forgiven much and then turned around and had. Then he was given over to the tormentors because he abused people who owed him. He would not forgive. Right. And so effectively, that's us. We've sinned every sin we've ever sinned against God. He's forgiven us. And so if there's someone that sins against us, even if it's legitimate, it's not near the stack of sins that we have against the father that we've already been forgiven. And so next time we are going to dive into forgiveness because this is a subject that is really hard sometimes whenever there's legitimate deep hurts, pains, and trauma. We talked about some of the unhealthy stuff of communication, but we're going to talk about how to grow connection and how we use our scale of connection against our scale of disconnection to 
to be able to maintain healthy relationships. So if this podcast has blessed you by giving you a deeper understanding of who God is and has helped you grow in your relationship with him, we would like you to share with your friends who would benefit from these conversations. And also, if there is a particular topic you would like Jenny or me to discuss, let us know by visiting our landing page, delvewithus.info, and dropping us an email. Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth. 